The Lord be with you, everyone. And I want to continue talking of what we began last week. You might say this is the end of the story. We we didn't get this far by, by deliberation. It, it is how Peter was walking on the water, but then, as everybody seems to focus on, he began to sink. I, I find that interesting, just as an aside, that um, if, if you, I, I've, I've looked at pictures for Peter walking on the water, and uh, almost every one is actually a picture of him sinking, uh, as if people can't allow themselves to accept the fact that Peter walked on the water and walked pretty much all the way to Jesus, so that when he did begin to sink, he was within touching distance of Jesus. Uh, Interesting how people uh, sort of mentally refuse to accept this this wonder. But that's just an aside. Let's read from Matthew chapter 14, and this time begin at verse 28. And it's where Peter says, or it says, answered him. We talked about that last week. Uh, Lord, if it is you, and we saw that would be better since it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, He was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they had got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. That's the... The end of the story, and uh, I, I just simply want to plunge right in with, with just a little bit of what's been happening. So the first question I ask, what has been happening? Peter is walking on the water as if it was solid ground, and he does so at his own request, but definitely with the permission of Jesus, which was given very excitedly, almost delightedly. Now, this has got to be understood in context. Um, Can I put it this way? It is the greater context of this is the incarnation, by which we mean that the one, Jesus, who is walking on the water is a genuine, authentic human who simultaneously is none other than God the Son, creator of all that is. And what is he doing here? This true man who is truly God. It says, and it's very plain in John 3.16, which uh, I think everyone knows, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And I, I, I understand from that that the final definition of love is 
that God himself came and gave himself to us and gave himself to us by actually authentically joining us in our humanity. And so when I look at Jesus doing this and I, I see the the reality of the incarnation, here walking on the water is a genuine human being. And yet at the same time, I am looking at God who has joined us, become one of us, and is acting um, within all of our humanity and laws. This is what is happening here. It is love that has come to us in order to bring us into union with himself. Why do I say that? Well, let's backtrack a moment. The word love that is in not only in John 3.16, but throughout the New Testament is that word that you probably heard of, agape. And we've got to be very careful that we understand what agape is. We're not talking about a God who is sort of generally nice. You know, he's... Uh, he, he he smiles at us from a great distance. He likes us. He's like a you know an old grandfather in his rocking chair that beams at his grandchildren. But uh, no, but when we say God is love, we are speaking, and I use these words very carefully, of the greatest energy power that is the personal power in the universe beyond the universe, for this is the power that actually brought the universe into being. The universe, and you in particular, created by agape. We are birthed of love. So so how would I look at the love of God? Um, I, I, I could put maybe a shorter one, but let me just let my mind go crazy a minute. It's the unbounded, I can't think that, you know, the unbounded, limitless uh, passion of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Agape is the movement. See, agape is never stagnant. Agape is always movement, and the word energy fits all the words that are used in the New Testament. It's the movement of his tri-personal, joyous energy to reunite us to himself. He's not half-hearted about this, you see. He is passionate. This is the movement of God toward us that cannot be stopped. It is his unbegun and unending desire to embrace you and hold you into himself and have you experience his love and live out your life in that union forever. So you could say his love is reckless. If if you you think about it, it, it's reckless plunging into our humanity in, into our sin and embracing each one of us. And to do that without shame or embarrassment, I had to throw that in, because um, we humans are embarrassed of some of our fellow humans. 
and of ourselves so many times, we would hide from ourselves. We would be afraid of ourselves and certainly hide from others, and we're embarrassed at what we've done and what we believe we're capable of. And I, I, we've, we've got to get this. He's not embarrassed. He comes to us with full knowledge of who we are and plunges his arms of love into us and around us and publicly loves us and cleanses us by the blood of Jesus and brings us into his feast. That's, I think, why I just have spent a lifetime studying the prodigal son, because there you have the chap, you know, smelling like a pig, looking as if he has run out of clothes weeks ago. He's in tattered rags. He smells. He hasn't made a bath. And the father, the elder of the village, the most important chap around, runs to him and puts his arms around him and covers him in kisses. And remember, that's the story Jesus told. And so he inserts such little details to make sure you understand that God kisses us when we smell like pigs. He comes to us without any embarrassment. He loves us, and his love delights just to hold you in his arms. You ever thought of the love of God like that? had um, an email at the office the other day, and this person um, said it so well as they spoke of what this ministry has meant to them, and they, they said, and I slightly paraphrase it, that it is easier to believe that God so loved the world than it is to believe that he loved me and gave himself for me. That's a true statement. It's easy to say, well, God loves the world, but then to realize that that love is focused upon me and his passionate intention for me and for you is to bring us into union with himself. Well, why do I say that? I'm not taking an aside there. I am saying that what you're seeing here in this story it's got to be taken in, in the light of the whole incarnation that this is God who in love is seeking to unite us to himself in a very functional, factual way. So what you're seeing here, Jesus walking on the water, how can I put it? It's not an act of raw power. Uh, in fact, quite frankly, the word power, I think, is, I, I, I don't like it really. it's You can translate the various words in the New Testament, uh, like dunamis, it's power, but it brings up images of might. It's sort of like a splitting of the atom kind of power, whereas that's not true at all. all. All these acts of power they're prefaced by the words that Jesus was moved with compassion. Now, that, now I'm beginning to get to another hour, but let, let's just look at it. That when I say power, I like the word energy better, which too is a very specific Greek word in the New Testament. The the energy it's it's alive, it's living, 
and and this livingness, this power to achieve an end, this energy is personal and it's love. This almighty love of God, the greatest energy ability in all creation and before it, around it. And so we're looking here at the love of God that would indeed invite Peter to come and unite with his ability to walk on water as if to say, let's do it together. Let's stroll in the moonlight on the face of the water. And that would be just a little mini picture of what, what God wills to share his very self with us so that we, as he in Jesus, can walk with him and have fun with him and take an evening stroll all on top of that which would seek to destroy us. Okay, that I believe is what was happening, really, if you get underneath the outward. But but how is it happening? How is it that Peter can join Jesus on the water? Well, as I said last week, it was part of a series of I don't know whether to call them lessons or teachings. Our trouble is that both of those words uh, come to us heavy with the baggage of the Western way that we do education. Um, Whereas in the Scripture, and indeed um, you could say throughout the the biblical world, teaching was, the goal of teaching was that the student becomes exactly as the teacher, so that a student wasn't someone who learned lessons and passed exams and got a piece of paper. The student graduated because he has now become as his teacher. And that's what Jesus is doing throughout the Gospels. It'd be fascinating. Maybe we'll do it one day. Go through and see how Jesus taught the disciples how they were to be as he, all in anticipation of the grand finale of why he came, which is to give the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would come inside of us, And we indeed would, as John says plainly in his first letter, as he, Jesus, is, so are we in this world. Shocking, isn't it? But Jesus was teaching them this before the Spirit came. So he's laying down a sort of a preview. He's giving them a taste, but told them plainly, it's far better for you that I go away Then the Holy Spirit will come and you'll really see what's going on. And so this this is what's happening, that uh, he has already introduced them to the beginning. Uh, And I, uh, I hope you get that. The Holy Spirit had not yet been given, and so this is not the grand finale. These these are little lessons that they are learning, and they will break into life when the Holy Spirit comes. And, And we can join them in the lessons and know because now the Holy Spirit has come, and He dwells in you. And it's about time we woke up to realize what that means.
that the very source of the life of God in human, the love life of God ability inside the human, he, I say again, is the source of that. Jesus is the source of that. He's the beginning of what I would call the new possible life. For everything that we thought was impossible is not impossible. Not with him. And he, he shares his life. He shares his new impossible life with, with us humans. Uh, and they, they had seen this. Uh, very quickly, he had sent them out to preach, and he gave to them the authority that he had, so they could speak with his authority. There, there was a, an actual giving of his ability and giving of his authority. The same, he told them that they were to heal the sick exactly as he had. And, and again, there was given the authority and, and the ability to do so to actually impart into the bodies of people the, the, the love of God, which heals, and also authority to cast demons out and, and to, that they should flee in the same fear of the disciples as they had of Jesus. And he sent them out to do it, and they did it, and they came back, and you can read it there, in Matthew 10, he sends them out. Matthew 11, they're coming back and they're beside themselves. And as we've got to really get it, with the feeding of the 5,000, or as we always say, the 15,000, they, um, they'd actually been part of it. So Jesus put the bread in their hands, but it multiplied as they gave it. And so they were part of it. And that, that's where they were in their, shall I say, schooling. Now you know what's going on. Their schooling with, with Jesus as the teacher. And so in Mark's account, we'll look at it in a minute. But, you know, when he, get into the, when he got into the boat, it, it says here and also in Mark's account, the <coughs> disciples were amazed, that is the eleven, um, that that had stayed in the boat and just watched all this like some great panorama going on out there on the waves. And it says they were amazed. And that's a word in the original language that means to stand outside of yourself, sort of being dislocated from your body for a minute. Um, you're, you're beside yourself. Or another translation would be, I lost my mind. It's, I, 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 I don't know what's going on, sort of thing. And he says they, they were thus amazed. And it's fascinating. It says they, they shouldn't have been amazed. <laughs> what? <laughs> they shouldn't have that They saw Jesus walking on the water, and then they saw one of their own chaps going out to meet him walking on the water, and it says uh, they were amazed, and Mark goes on to say they were amazed because they didn't understand what was going on. Uh, they shouldn't have been, Mark is saying, in effect, they should not have been amazed if they'd had one clue of what was happening. 
if they had learned and remembered specifically what had happened only a few hours before, as they had been participating in the feeding of the 5,000, if they just understood that, but it, that, that was backed up by all these other occurrences, and if they'd have understood, they wouldn't have been amazed. Uh, and it was to that, I believe, and I think I said this well enough last week, that Peter had responded to that. He got it. And that's why he had asked for permission. That uh, They had, every one of them, the 11 as well as Peter, they had shared in the very life of Jesus. That, that Jesus didn't keep that life to himself. He actually communicated so that they, they are in, in a way that really defies explanation. They, they were actually operating as one. And as I've said, he was preparing them for the day when the coming of the Spirit would be inside of them and they would be inside of him, the same as a branch that is on a vine and the life of the vine is in the branch and the branch bears the fruit of the vine. And he said, so I'm in you and you'll bear fruit. But this is all leading up to that. He's leading up to the eye inside of you. We share life. Jesus is not an example that we have to try and follow. That's dead religion. Jesus is the life that comes and lives his life and thinks his thoughts and does his work in us and through us so that as he is, so we are. And that's all quoting Scripture. And let me throw this in. When that day came, boy, I suppose you should fasten your seatbelts here. Jesus said, the greater things than these shall you do because I go to the Father. That is because the Holy Spirit's coming. What what could be greater than this, I hear, coming through the camera? How how could anything be greater than walking on the water? Oh, please, please. Fascinating, I suppose, to walk on the water. I'll tell you what's greater. Jesus said, Love one another as I have loved you. He didn't say be nice to each other. He didn't say all become Eagle Scouts. Help old ladies across the road. He said, Love one another with this agape that you have seen in me and have experienced coming from me, experienced my accepting embrace. Now go and love one another as I have loved you. And if you think you can do that, then go and walk on the water. Because, no, we can't, we can't. Every part of my flesh rises up to say, don't be daft, you can't do that. Well, that's the point, isn't it? That Jesus himself through the Spirit comes to live inside of us and we find that we can do something greater than walk on the water. We can love one another even as he has loved us. Think about that. That's what this is all about. And these disciples had seen it and they had participated in it.
And yet, in this, the latest lesson, they're amazed. Let me read that verse in Mark 6 and 51. It says that Jesus got into the boat. It's all over now. He got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped. And they were greatly astonished. And notice this carefully. For, or because, they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves. That's the feeding of the 5,000. But their heart was hardened. So it says that they were astonished. They were amazed. And says Mark, you know, they shouldn't have been. I mean, didn't they gain anything that they, in in union with him, participating in his power, that they multiplied the bread and the fish? Hadn't they gained any insight? That's what was happening out here. And, and that's why Peter could walk on the water with Jesus, that he participated in his ability. Then he says, no, they didn't get it. They didn't. Their heart was hardened. Hardened. Boy, that's a word we could spend a long time on that we will not. But I'll tell you what it means. I'll give you a number of of insights into what the word means. It means they had not put the pieces together. Understanding means the place where two things meet together. And they, they hadn't... They hadn't connected the dots, okay? They hadn't put the pieces together so as to understand or grasp the meaning of what was going on. That would be, yeah, so their hearts were hardened. That is, I don't get it. I don't get it. Uh, One translation, which um, gets really to the heart of this word, would mean petrified or fossilized. (laughs) It says their heart was petrified, you know, like an old fossil. They, What does it mean? It means nothing's going to change here. As it was, so it is. I don't care what you say. I know what I believe. And, and the, the heart was hardened. We're not going to change. We're, 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 we're not going to be other than the, these uh, semi-religious fishermen and... no. Another translation would be turned into concrete. Or uh, if you're talking about your your feet, it would be the thick and calloused skin. The heart was hard and it become calloused. Nothing could get through. Another way would be to say their hearts were dull. You know, I just don't get it. I don't get it. Uh, unyielding to any exterior pressure that does not fit the way things always have been. So their minds were closed. You get the picture? Here before them is Jesus, God in our flesh, who is actually... (laughs) not only talking about it, but actually they're seeing it now. And incidentally, they could have been out there with Peter, but they're not, of course, because their hearts were hardened. We're we're not going to change like that. We're not going to make fools of ourselves like Peter. But, But Jesus is displaying to them that all that he is is actually being 
communicated to Peter, and Peter is walking in the very ability and energy of Jesus. So let's throw this out, that Peter was not imitating Jesus. And and of course, there again you see, of course you you can't imitate walking on the water unless you've got the very same ability that Jesus is exhibiting in you, you can't do that. You can't imitate Jesus. There are some of you, bless your hearts, and I really mean that. I really, I say that to you as a prayer. Bless you, because you spent your life trying to be like Jesus. No, the Bible, nowhere in the scriptures does it say that. You can't be like Jesus. You can't love one another as he has loved you. When they talked about salvation at one point, and the disciples said, well, who then can be saved? This is beyond us. And Jesus smiled and looked at them and said, of course, it's impossible. And then goes right on to say, but with God, all things are possible. But please understand it. This salvation is absolutely impossible. The same as walking on water. Unless, of course, we could actually participate in the very life and ability and anointing of Jesus. Would you understand me if I said that, Peter, there was an entanglement. That is, that's a... quantum physics word, which means what is happening in Jesus is simultaneously happening in Peter. And what Jesus does, Peter does. The, simultaneously. That, that's what's happening. And that's, that's what it is to be a Christian, you see. It's receiving. And, and that word receiving is almost too weak. It should be taking the ability and how can he do that? Because he trusts in the love, the agape of Jesus. He's got it. He's got it. He's here. He is love, seeking to bring me where he is so that we can live and love and dance together. It's the meaning of Jesus coming. It's the, the love gift the love, the agape flowed from Jesus in a genuine energy. Whatever word, ability, came from the source who is Jesus and filled Peter's expectancy. He walked on the water. He did what Jesus was doing in the ability that flowed from Jesus. What on earth happened? <laughs> the, the scripture, it says, Then he saw the wind. I pondered that for probably 60 years. How do you see the wind? (sighs) Something happened. You see, in everything I've just said, please, and this of course comes right to it, Peter was not a puppet. This is relationship. It's always relationship. He never gatecrushes us. He invites us. And I use the word, he teases us, come on. And he shows us, but he never gate crashes. That's why the 11 stayed in the boat, because he doesn't force anything. And so this relationship, Peter is trusting. Peter is expecting. Peter is taking the grace 
ability that's coming from Jesus. But now, oh, I know exactly what happened here. You say, I know it because I've done this. Sometimes hard to put into words. Instead of that looking to Jesus in all the ways I've just said, and assuming, in so doing, by the way, it's pretty much automatic, you assume his perspective. That is, I'm walking on the water with Jesus. And I walk, yet not I, it's he, but it's me, but it's he. I can do all things through Christ who is my strength, you know. But then what happened? He began to look at the situation as who he really is. I mean, he's an experienced sailor, right? Peter's lived on the lake, Galilee. That's where he caught his fish, had his boats, ever since he was knee-high to a grasshopper. I mean, he's walking on the water, and since creation... There's been proof you can't do that. And, but he's doing it because he and Jesus are aligned here. And in this moment, he reevaluates the situation as an experienced sailor. And he finds, as he looks at the, at the waves, incidentally, the waves had not changed at all. They were the same as when he got out the boat. But now, you see, his perspective, he, he's looking at the waves. Jesus is over here, and, and he's, he's suddenly, he's not, he's not looking at Jesus. He, he's looking at the waves, and he's looking at them through the eyes of a sailor, and he feels the spray on his face and the, the lift of the swell under his feet. And he finds himself expecting of the waves. He's trusting in the waves to do to him as they've always done. Huh. Or you could put it this way. He looked at himself. Have you ever done this? He looked at himself and realized, I'm doing what I can't do. And he looked the way he's walked from the boat. It's as if he's hearing himself say to himself, I'm not supposed to be doing this. And he's locked up in fear. See, in imagination, he sees what the wind could do. He sees its effects in the rising waves and the white caps and the throwing of spray in his face. He disconnects, disconnects with, with that flow of ability that is coming to him from Jesus, the source and the strength of water walking. And now he's connecting at a very, very, very human level. He's connecting with and he's yielding to the storm. Do you see what's happening? 
He gave his full attention. That attention had been locked into Jesus with, I might say, ease. There's no sense of struggle to do that. He, he volunteered, and Jesus said, come. I mean, it's a dynamic. But now an eye looks at the wave, and it gives his full attention to the effects of the wind. He sees what they're doing, the wind is doing to the waves. He is focused on what it was doing without any reference to the divine human energy ability that he is now dynamically actually sharing with Jesus. He gives no reference to that. It's as if it doesn't exist. He's looking at the waves. Or you could put it this way. He began to think about what he is doing. And he saw the power of the wind as he has been taught all his life. Do you know what I mean by thinking about it? If you're learning to ride a bike, don't think about it. Just ride it. Um, If you're learning to swim, don't think about it. Just swim. You know, uh, I, I, I have watched as young speakers will get onto stage and everything's going fine when they are lost in what they are saying and their love for the people until they suddenly think about what they're doing and they, they're lost. They don't, they don't know what to say. Stage fright. That, that's the principle. This is much more going on here, but he thought about it. What am I doing? I can't do this. He believed into the agenda of the wind. He yielded to the intentions of the storm. And his thoughts joined in the screaming wind with a confident prophecy that this is insane. It is impossible to walk on water. Or you could put it this way, that in his imagination... Boy, does imagination play a part in fear. In his imagination, he left the now is of I am walking on water in the strength of Jesus. And in his imagination, projected himself along with the waves into the non-existent future of what surely will be. Call that anxiety. <laughs> and I say again, nothing had changed. This is the water he got into. But now, once his imagination has been given permission to go a bit, it goes all the way. <laughs> and finds himself in this terrifying, what he now sees as a ridiculous situation. It's interesting, Jesus, at the point of rescue, explained to him what was going on. And I find that very gentle. He's not mad with Peter. In fact, I think he was ecstatic that Peter walked as far as he did. Um, And then he explains to Peter, that's what a good teacher is. Now that you've seen what what went wrong, he says, little faith, wherefore did you doubt? What is little faith? It is... 
It isn't seamless trust. On the way to where Jesus was on the water, Peter had, you could say, seamless trust. Uh, he, he believed in the all-encompassing, the all-enabling, the all-possible life energy source able to accomplish his agenda and sharing that with him. He trusted that. Trusted. All he needed was Jesus to say, come, I trust him. Little faith is faith with gaps in which other alternative possibilities are entertained. Even though he's trusting Jesus, he's, he's allowing these other possibilities to edge their way in, and that means hesitation. Hesitation means you've landed on second thoughts about this. And I might say your second thought is always a no good thought. Never have a second thought. That's another thing. Then he uses the word doubt. Doubt really gets to the heart of it. It's um, weird English. You know, when we taught you how to spell, um, didn't you ask any questions? You know, the English, we, we said doubt. Now, how would you spell doubt? I, I suppose D-O-W-T, doubt. That'd be a, no, 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 we English, we, we made it D-O-U-B-T on earth. How, what, B-T? How do you get a B in there? Because doubt is really an extension of another English word, D-O-U-B-L-E, double. Doubt is seeing double. That's the exact meaning of the word in the original language. It's an attempt to mentally stand in two places at once in opposite directions. It means having double vision. You're seeing two here. And if you're seeing two, you're very hesitant and you're wavering because you don't know who's who. Is it number one or number two? Shall I go here? Shall I go there? Huh, hesitation. It is called um, elsewhere impure. Blessed are the pure in heart, said Jesus. But what, what's pure? Pure is unmixed unmixed. If you have pure water, it means it's not mixed with, with a lot of pollution. It's pure, not mixed. Pure anything, pure alcohol, pure milk, it, it means it's mixed with nothing else. So when Jesus said, blessed are the pure, it's not mixed. You don't have mixed vision. You're not living, mixing two possibilities that cannot and will not mix. That's what Peter was doing. He, he, he saw, he'd walked this far in the ability of Jesus. He'd, he'd done it. Now he thinks about it. How can I do that? And then looks at the waves. Yeah, and he's caught between the two. That's doubt. And... Uh, I, do I have to say that everyone 
of us as we are learning to walk in this glorious rest of trust, we, we do this. In fact, it's, um, it's like a, in Matthew's chapter 6, it's, it's also called single eye, single eyed vision. You, you, well, again, you're not seeing double. And it speaks to it in Hebrews 12, where it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author or the source and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That is, he says, as you're in this race of life, you you, you keep your eyes riveted on Jesus. That is, I acknowledge, I expect, I've rested in that from him is my ability to live. And I'm so expectant in this moment. I simply have to say, thank you, Jesus, I'm receiving from you. But, but don't, don't turn here and turn there. Fix your eyes. Turn your eyes away from all other things that would drag you down. Looking away to him, the source, the inaugurator, the fountainhead. Don't look around and have a second thought as to how on earth am I doing this? Really, I need a few rules here. I, I need some law to help. No, no, no. Don't, don't start thinking about it. Don't start looking around. Simply rest into Jesus and let this life continue to be your life. Instead of bringing the wind to the table. Come on, storm, sit along here and give your opinion and tell me what to do. I question the wind. What do you think? What are your plans for me? It says he was afraid. There again, did, did, have you ever realized fear is, fear is not, how can I put it? Fear is not a substantial thing. See, fear is the opposite of love in a sense. I say in a sense because love is unbegun, unending substance, the very being of God. Fear? Yeah, it's what happens when we've been momentarily disconnected from our awareness and experience of that love. But fear is not a thing. It it just springs into being when I'm not resting in the one who loves me so passionately. So in that sense, it is the absence of my awareness of love. Do, do, Do you get that? That's why it says perfect love casts out all fear. Fear cannot exist in the presence of you knowing the love of God. Peter knew that love. That's why he would got on the water. He trusted that love. He expected of that love. He took of that love. That was the behind his boldness. In fact, the scripture says, 
what is it in Romans? Faith works by love. Faith is energized by love, is closer to the translation there. Now mesmerized by the storm, just attention, focusing on the storm. The love of Jesus is, is, is overwhelmed, should I say? He became terrified at what he was doing. Weird, isn't it? So when love had been forgotten, his trust is gone. Fear takes over. And he begins to sink. But of course, you see, the love has never left him. No, God isn't so petty that you, you, you get caught up in the storm, so he's going to walk away uh, in a huff. Oh, come on. Stop seeing God as your next-door neighbor. No, this incredible love will never leave you, never forsake you. And the moment Peter began to sink, he got his act together and said, Oh, save me. I, I, that's where I went wrong. You see, we never have to try to trust Jesus. This is very important. I hear it all the time. You say, well, I'm trying to have faith. I'm trying to trust Jesus. No. Trusting Jesus is a given. If I have seen anything of his love, if I have seen anything of his embrace and know anything of his being with me, I know that he never leaves me. Trusting Jesus is a natural response to that. That's the very first ABC. He, he has initiated this. People are so afraid of losing their salvation, like it was your idea in the first place. Oh, come on. Come on. Like you got it. No, the, all this flows from initiation. That's when it comes back, this astounding love of God. He's on your side. He doesn't only love you, he likes you, he's passionate about you. He initiated salvation. He initiated your life. He joined us. You didn't join him. He joined us. And the Holy Spirit is the limitless personal energy of abilities and gifts living in us the presence of the ascended Jesus. I say again, just understand a little bit of that and, and trust is part of the gift. Trust rises without struggle, realizing we're one with him. We can, as Peter, divert our attention. We can feel the draw of the flesh. Well, the, at that point, we're not talking about, you've got to struggle now to trust in Jesus. No. <laughs> the exact reverse happens if you do that. Our choice at that moment is not to be distracted. That's, that's where, <clears throat> what shall I say? In fact, in Timothy, is it? It speaks of the agony of faith. It, it is the choice. I will not be distracted. I'll not be distracted by the size of the waves. I, I will not be diverted to trust in the waves. It, it's not that 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 I've got to try and trust in Jesus. That that is 
what I, I don't let me be blinded by being diverted, by being refocused to the world of natural human impossible. Would, would this help? You, you put a cork that floats on the water, and it floats on the water. Well, you can get a hold of that cork and pull it down, but the moment you let go, it shoots straight back up. And so the, the cork doesn't need any help in floating. And if it gets pulled off a bit, well, it goes straight back. We can pull away from the source of life, but he doesn't pull away from us. And, and love will surge the moment we recognize what's happening. So stop doing whatever it is that gets in the way of you just abandoning, being vulnerable to the love of God. Put off everything that is inconsistent with who you are as one who lives from the source who is Jesus. That doesn't mean we live in denial. That's not saying, well, there is no storm, there is no storm, there is no... There is a storm, of course. And you can feel the spray on your face, and you do feel the swell of the waves under your feet. And and sometimes the wave is so high it fills your vision. Oh, yes, there's a storm, all right. We don't live in denial, pretending there are no waves, there is no storm. But what we do, we don't give them space in our thoughts. We look at them, oh, you again, oh, you again. We gently return to our steady trust in Jesus. But of course, Peter began to sink, and Jesus reached out and raised him up, and they walked back to the boat. Yes, I say it again, this is a foretaste of what happened on the day of Pentecost when God, the Holy Spirit, who is the very Spirit of Jesus, who is the very presence of the ascended Jesus, came to live inside of us. Jesus is no longer separated across the waves. He's inside of us. He's dwelling within us, and we are participating in his perspective, his attitude, his looking. He's one with us, living, thinking, trusting, expecting, acting from within us. Well, I, I, I could spend a, a lot of time there. But let me just ask you, what wave is he waiting for you to join him in walking over it? See, th this is not ju just a, a one-time miracle. This is um, the way it is. And it's, it's no wonder that they were, their hearts were hardened. I mean, I can understand it. I can understand it. Because, because um, th this life we're talking about, you, have you got the drift of it? That, that this Christian life, it's 101% supernatural. Uh, that's why the flesh, that my, my natural human self, um, it... it it looks upon this as too great a risk. Why is it the people back off into some religious system? Because it's a lot safer there, because that's in the boat, watching this from a great historical distance and saying, that was wonderful, wasn't it? 
No, I'm talking about joining Jesus now. And and this date on the calendar, this night, as you're listening to me, we we join. We we and we. It's it's not a matter of getting there. You are. It's a matter of realizing this is who I am. What am I doing sitting here in the boat? Oh, come on. Let's face it. Jesus is unnerving. Jesus is looked upon as terrible danger to a normal, religious, stable life. Grace is being vulnerable, terrifyingly vulnerable, to this God love that calls us to live a life of the new impossible, which has actually become the new possible. It's exciting to watch, but terrifying to think of this is the new way and attitude to life. And yet this, in this moment, this is now where Christ is my life and I live, yet not I, but He. And I go to my work and I go to my relationships And I go to my challenges and opportunities and traumas and I am actually, I'm actually drawing the life of Jesus because he's now my life. And I can do what I can't do and I can walk where I can't walk. That's the Christian life. It's a Christian life. When they got to the boat, it says they all worshipped him. Have you noticed they didn't worship Peter? I mean, that's pretty obvious. But I've thought, Peter walked on the water. You, you, you would think they'd have given him some acknowledgement. No, they don't. Of course not. Because Peter knows, and I know, and you know, and they knew, uh, that however that happened, it was Jesus who was the source of it all. And they recognized that Peter's part was to walk. The ability to do so was all him. I I don't know where this finds you, but let me say this is a continuation of last week. And and I'm not going to mention this again. But in the last two weeks since um, Resurrection Sunday, when my wife Nancy passed into the presence of the Lord... I have lived these two weeks of webinars and I have sought to turn what I have experienced myself into sharing with you. And so understand I say all of this to you with the authority I've lived it and I report to you that Christ our life is the greatest reality you will know at any point in this earthly walk. And now the blessing of God, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that blessing enfold you, uphold you, wrap around you, and be your enabling strength to walk wherever you walk this incoming week. So I bless you, And declare, this is the way it is.